Robert and Anna Davidson were essentially pimps without the sex. They cultivated a stable of people whose money they relied on for their own livelihoods. And just like pimps, they controlled their victims with fear and physical abuse as well. The cult never even had time to be any kind of actual church or spiritual place. They'd barely been moved into the Micanopy house when, in August of 1983, a baby was seen by a doctor after she had what was later diagnosed as a seizure. Baby Kay, as we will call her, was prescribed phenobarbital, but once that medication ran out, Mother Anna wouldn't get it refilled for her. She would later say that she didn't like how the medication made the child stare. Mother Anna didn't approve of traditional medicine, you see. Most ailments were treated on the Micanopy property with herbal remedies. A few weeks after the discontinuation of the medicine, on November 21st, around 8 p.m., the child was brought to Shan's hospital, unresponsive and in cardiac arrest. The records note that CPR was administered at the home before she was transported to the hospital, yet the child had been experiencing symptoms since early that morning, and they didn't bring her to the hospital until nighttime. Baby Kay was pronounced dead at 7.02 p.m. the next day. Two days later, the Alachua County Sheriff's Department got a call about a suspicious incident involving the death and burial of a two-year-old child. A woman reported that her niece, who lived in Gainesville, Florida, with her daughter, became involved in what she described as an occult-type religion, and it was located in the area of Wakahuda Road in South Gainesville. She said her niece's daughter was given to these people to raise, and when the family questioned the whereabouts of the child, they learned that she had died earlier in the week and had already been buried. Obviously, the woman was upset, along with the rest of her family, and rightly so. A family member, a child no less, had been buried under what they felt were suspicious circumstances during a time that that child lived with a cult. They had no idea if the death had even been reported to the authorities. Through investigation, it was learned that the child, Baby Kay, had been under the care of a physician at Shands at the time of her death. The medical examiner had even done an autopsy before her body had been turned over to the funeral home. But the family still felt something wasn't right, even when the investigator met with them and explained what he had found. Why wasn't her death reported to the rest of the family? The child's father wasn't even told. Something was off. And apparently something didn't sit right with the investigator either. The original complaint came in right around Thanksgiving, and it was reopened in January the following year. It appears that the investigator spent his holidays with a niggling sense of unease, and despite no specific evidence of wrongdoing, he did what a good law enforcement officer does best. He leaned in for a closer look. He met with the mother of the dead child, and the young woman told him that Anna and Jonah Young took care of her little girl when she was at work and they were given full reign, including feeding and medications. She said her child began having a medical problem soon after she turned two and was taken to a pediatrician at an outpatient clinic. I should note that this coincides with the exact time that the child had been introduced into the home of Anna and Jonah Young. She did not have any medical condition prior to that. Anna Young had taken the child on the last couple of doctor visits, according to the mother, due to scheduling conflicts with her job, and had given the medication to her child up until the time that the prescription ran out, and then she decided to no longer fill it 
because the child was doing better. Mother Anna said no further medical attention was needed. When the investigator advised the woman of the severity of not giving prescribed medication to a child and told her that it was quite possible the lack of medication had caused her death, the woman became upset. She became even more upset when he told her that he was turning the case over to the state's attorney's office and they might take it before a grand jury for further action. The investigator then contacted the attending physician on duty at Shan's hospital at the time of the child's death. It was his opinion that the death of the child was the direct result of lack of medication. What followed was a charge of manslaughter. Medical records indicated that the child had died of idiopathic seizure disorder, but that didn't tell the full story. A few words on the line marked cause of death never does. You could read the first page or so of the postmortem findings and not think anything of it. That is, until you get to page two and it describes the three scalp bruises with maximal diameters of one-half to one-and-a-half inches in the mid-occipital area, which is the back of the head. If you reach around right now and feel for that bump in the middle of the back of your head, that's part of the occipital bone. Baby K also had similar bruises on the frontal scalp, all with dark red and purple appearances. There were healed irregular scars on her legs as well, and these aren't little scars either. The front of her left leg has a long 9-inch by 3-inch irregular scar, among others, between the knee and top of the foot. Both tops of the feet seem to be scarred, as well as the back of both legs, low between mid-calf to ankle. The notes in the narrative summary say that baby K was admitted in cardiorespiratory arrest. The mother told the hospital staff that she was experiencing minor irritability and had a fixed stare. She couldn't walk, and then she quit breathing. This followed a similar episode in the previous months, after which she had been treated with the phenobarbital. That fixed stare to which they referred was what Anna had mentioned, and it was likely due to seizure activity. And that seizure activity was due to Anna Young beating the child. When her medication was discontinued after six weeks, it happened again. In February, the month after this case was reopened, another complaint was filed with the Alachua County Sheriff's Department. Brother Thomas reported that he and other members of the House of Prayer had been assaulted by three suspects. These suspects turned out to be family members of Baby Kay, and they'd come to the residence to discuss what happened to her. According to the report, Jonah Young was struck on the arm and face with a stick. He and the other members of the church were threatened to have a pot of boiling water thrown on them and there were also threats with a large carving knife. The House of Prayer members did not wish to press charges. They only wanted the incident documented. On May 16, 1984, William F. Hamilton, the district medical examiner, wrote a letter to Johnny Yarborough, the chief investigator with the office of the state attorney in Gainesville, regarding the death of the child. Dear Johnny, in compliance with your request concerning this case, I have consulted with Dr. William Ballinger of the Neuropathy Division of the Department of Pathology at the University of Florida School of Medicine. Dr. Ballinger has reviewed microscopic slides of the brain and other tissue, the autopsy protocol, the report into the investigation of the death of and her clinical record from Shands Hospital. Based on his review of this material, he assures me that he finds no evidence of another cause of death 
different from my stated opinion of idiopathic seizure disorder. Reportedly, the child's fatal seizure and subsequent delayed death occurred about six weeks after her supply of anti-epileptic medicine was exhausted and her parents failed to refill the prescription. Under those circumstances, she would certainly have been at high risk for recurrence of symptomatic seizures and possibly death. This is not to say, however, that there would have been no possibility of such an unfortunate chain of events if she had been appropriately medicated on an indefinite basis. However, I believe the probability of such an untoward sequence of events would have been greatly diminished. The situation may be considered roughly analogous to that of an insulin-requiring juvenile diabetic whose parents or guardians withhold the required hypoglycemic agent. In such circumstance, the diabetic patient would most certainly become symptomatic and could possibly die. I would urge you to consult those pediatricians and pediatric neurologists who regularly treat young patients with seizure disorders to gain a better estimate of the degree of risk to which the child may have been exposed by withholding appropriate anti-epileptic medication. Sincerely, William F. Hamilton, M.D., District Medical Examiner. At that point, the little girl's death certificate listed her death as natural, caused by idiopathic seizure disorder. He still has the scars on him from being whipped. You remember the movie Roots? Yeah. How Kunta Kinte had the scars? He looks like that. It's that bad. I wish I could say that that dialogue was from a movie script, but it's not. It's from an FBI agent to a witness in this case. And the scarred person in question, who is scarred to this day, is Baby Kay's brother, who lived with her and their mother at the House of Prayer. Brother James was the moniker he was given by Mother Anna, and he was about five years old when his mother, known as Sister Rebecca, became involved with the House of Prayer, a place he would later refer to me as the House of Horrors. Sister Rebecca was initially invited by another member of the House of Prayer to a service at the Micanopy House, and she had been impressed with Mother Anna and her husband Jonah. But she would later compare Anna's reign at the House of Prayer to the Jonestown and Waco cults. According to Sister Rebecca, Anna's strict interpretation of the Book of Acts was bastardized into beatings with rulers, sticks, extension cords, and a heavy dose of fear. She described members being placed in boxes or enclosed spaces for long periods of time without food or water or any means to relieve themselves. This punishment would be meted out not only against adults, but even the toddlers, who were barely old enough to complete compound sentences, never mind understand why they were being locked in closets without food and forced to urinate and defecate on themselves. Sister Rebecca described how men were always separated from the women, except for the members who were married by Anna herself, another thing that she felt it within her power to ordain. Anna married Sister Lois to her own father, Joseph Bobo, an unholy union that created an age gap of decades. Sister Lois was in her early 20s, and Bobo was in his 60s. 
Anna insisted that God told the young woman that she was to be her father's wife. That may have been less a bond conceived of love than a perk bestowed upon her father because his daughter ran the place. Children in the cult were not permitted to refer to their own parents as their mother or father and were kept apart from the parents, only seeing them at weekly church meetings. These were Anna's children now and she would do with them what she pleased. Once a week, the entire membership would come to the Micanopy property for a meeting. Members would sit in a circle and Anna would go over announcements to the group. It was at one of these meetings that Sister Rebecca says she learned of her daughter's death. Brother James, Sister Rebecca's other child, and Baby Kay's brother, remembered being told in front of the congregation at another one of these meetings that his sister had a demon in her and Mother Anna was going to beat it out of her. Brother James remembered his sister being beaten and forced to run around and repeat the name of Jesus over and over again. Let me remind you that this is a two-year-old child. The day Mother Anna told the group that Baby Kay had died, she said she had a seizure which stopped her heart. Sister Rebecca says she was not permitted to attend her daughter's funeral, and she had never visited the burial site. Sister Rebecca said the group learned of the death of another baby named Moses in the same way, at a group church meeting, and you'll learn about Moses a little later in the podcast. But congregants were told he is no longer with us. Then, all of his clothes and possessions were burnt in front of the entire congregation, as was the ritual whenever anyone left the church. The same had been done for her own daughter, Baby Kay. All their worldly possessions were burnt in a barrel for everyone to see. Perhaps in biblical terms, one might say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. In the true crime world, we would call that destroying evidence. A couple years later, in 1985, Brother James was taken to Shan's hospital for a skin condition that Anna was unable to treat. Both he and his mother were coached beforehand. Brother James was told to say that his old scars were from riding his tricycle through a plate glass window. His mother was told to say nothing, and that's what she did, obeying out of fear of what Anna might do if she didn't. When the doctors examined the boy, they noted numerous scars on his arms, his legs, his buttocks, and part of his left ear had a piece of flesh missing from it. As soon as the doctor saw those scars, he called Child Protective Services. Police reports describe Sister Rebecca as becoming hostile at this point, and that's probably because she could only imagine how Mother Anna would react when they returned to the house of prayer. She'd already had one child die at the hand of Mother Anna, and I assume harbored an enormous amount of guilt over that, and was likely afraid for both her and her son's lives. According to the report, Brother James would not answer any questions without his mother's consent. Brother Thomas told doctors that the scars had been caused by the boy's father when he was three or four years old. Later, investigators would find photographs of the child at six, a couple years prior, and they did not show any scars. Records indicated that the boy had been taken previously to Shans at age five for a broken leg. Medical records for that time made no mention of the scars either. The boy was put into foster care temporarily, and an emergency custody hearing was called. But the judge denied the request to remove the child on the grounds that they had no proof as to where the scars came from, and both the child and mother 
were not being cooperative. The judge felt his hands were tied. He had no choice but to return the boy to the mother and essentially back into the belly of the beast. Imagine how helpless that little boy felt. And it's hard to fathom the stress this little boy was under. That is a lot for a little kid to deal with, particularly given what he had already endured. But law enforcement wasn't giving up. In December of 85, about two years after the death of Baby Kay, police investigators and child services descended upon the House of Prayer, intent on getting the evidence they needed to get the child out of there. The report from that incident notes that the residence was inhabited by several black males and black females who were, quote, of a different type of religion which requires them to dress in long, shroud-type clothing, and the children likewise. The group investigating the abuse was met at a large, locked wooden gate that surrounded the property. An unidentified male advised them that neither the boy nor his mother were there, and they were denied entrance. Other cult members came to the gate at that time and became irate, and began cursing at the investigators and telling them to leave. Later that same day, another emergency hearing was held in front of the judge for custody of the boy. Both of his grandmothers and an aunt were now present, and they all expressed their grave concerns. They told the judge that returning that little boy to the religious group was akin to signing his death warrant. The judge was also apprised of the details of the death of baby Kay two years prior. Finally, the judge signed the pickup order, and the Sheriff's Department and Child Protective Services went back to the House of Prayer. After an extensive search of the residence and barns, neither the mother nor the boy were located. Four adults and four children were present. The children were three black males and one black female, ranging in age from 7 to 11. All wore the clothing described as shroud type, which covered everything but their faces, and two of the four children had scars on their faces. A girl named Joy had a large scar under her right eye. A seven-year-old boy named Isaiah had a two-and-one-half-inch scar starting from the right corner of his mouth, extending down just under his chin. When he was asked how he got it, he answered hesitantly, I walked through a plate glass window. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The investigators noted that the children's statements were obviously pre-programmed and not consistent with what a normal child's reaction would be. The group members then refused them any further contact with the children. Brother James remembers literally hiding beneath the stairs in a hidden room in the main house while law enforcement searched for him. Sister Rebecca also remembers being forced to hide in different hidden rooms and compartments within the house to avoid detection. The investigation continued, despite the fact that the boy and his mother had gone missing. Police learned through investigation that the children lived and went to school with the residents, and some of the parents resided there, while some lived elsewhere even though their children lived at the House of Prayer. They were considering reopening the case of Baby Kay, and the pickup order remained in place to take Brother James into custody once he could be located. A family member told police that they got a call from Sister Rebecca saying that she had left the state and was currently in Atlanta, Georgia, though they did not know exactly where. She said she wasn't coming back. And the family was sure that she had been transferred by the religious group to another location to avoid prosecution. Almost exactly a year before all of this, 
another child had gone missing from the house of prayer. So the reaction of Mother Anna to more attention being called to the property makes perfect sense. There was a lot going on and a lot she was covering up, and the last thing she needed was more attention from law enforcement. Sister Priscilla was a member of the cult and had come there with her mother. During the time she was there, she gave birth to baby Luke. When the child was around two, Anna told Sister Priscilla that her child was, quote, full of the devil and should be put away. Mother Anna had also decided that Sister Priscilla was to be married to Brother Thomas. Mother Anna said that because the father of baby Luke was Hispanic, and both Sister Priscilla and Brother Thomas were not, the child needed to be taken to Puerto Rico, where his father was allegedly from, and left there. Now those of you who are clear on Anna's M.O. understand that the reason she wanted to get rid of baby Luke was that she had been beating on him like she had been beating on all of the other children. And when he was getting ill and exhibiting the same symptoms as the other children, she decided that he needed to go. They couldn't have another situation that so clearly resembled that of baby Kay. That one had been documented by law enforcement and the hospital. So she had to get baby Luke out of there. Sister Priscilla said that Mother Anna dressed baby Luke in a pink dress like a girl and told her, quote, take him to Puerto Rico and leave him on the streets. This, by the way, is the same thing that was done with Brother James. After CPS became involved, Anna made him dress in female attire as well whenever they left the property. They were trying to pass him off as a girl in an effort to conceal his identity. In December of 1985, Sister Priscilla says that she traveled from Miami, Florida to San Juan, Puerto Rico with the purpose of leaving her child, baby Luke, there. She says that they were accompanied on this trip by Elder Adam, who would become her father-in-law when Anna married her to Brother Thomas. In her written statement, Sister Priscilla said that after they got off the plane, she and Elder Adam took a cab to a bay. They walked to a hotel in a poor neighborhood, and she thought she remembered brick streets but wasn't sure about anything else because she was distraught and filled with grief. She said it was late and getting dark outside. She recalled a fast food restaurant near the church, along with another building next to it. She said that it was late evening and she could hear people singing praises from inside the church. Puerto Rican authorities investigated the allegation thoroughly, thinking that the area in question where the baby was said to be left was called Santurce. However, they were unable to find any corroborating evidence. They asked the Alachua County Sheriff's Office for help, namely in questioning Mother Anna in case the child never reached Puerto Rico at all, to determine if something else had happened to him in their jurisdiction. To this day, baby Luke has never been found. Now I want to do a recap really quick to keep you up to date on the abuse cases we have covered so far that have been attributed to Anna Davidson Young, because there are a lot and they're hard to keep track. First, 1968, she beat a five-year-old stepchild, last name Molden, with a stick, so badly that the little child was hospitalized with bruises, welts, and she was peeing blood. That's one. She had another husband in between there before she married Robert Davidson, Kathy's dad, so who knows how many kids she abused in that period of time. But in 1973, Kathy went missing, and we fairly well established that she didn't actually go missing. And don't worry, 
I plan to tell you exactly what did happen in later episodes. So that's two. Then you have baby Kay. That's three. She beat that child so badly that she started having seizures. And when Anna withheld her medication, she went into cardiac arrest. Next, we have baby Luke, number four. Little boy dressed as a girl and left in Puerto Rico, according to his own mother. And witnesses would state that he was also so abused by Anna that he began exhibiting the same symptoms as baby Kay before him. That's four. We've got brother James. That's five. And thank God he didn't die. But he was so brutally tortured, he still bears the scars. And we're not done. There's at least one more abuse victim whose horrendous abuse led to problems that she would have for the rest of her life until she too died. Her name is Nikki, and her case was the one that landed Anna in jail the first time, and I'll go into that one in the next episode. And there's still baby Moses. His story has also yet to be told. So that's seven. But I want to step back for a minute because you didn't hear everything, and you need to hear it. Brother James' abuse case went cold because he and his mother disappeared. The case was made inactive for about seven years because of insufficient evidence to identify a perpetrator. Until in September of 1992, when the little boy, not so little anymore, at 15 years old, gave a statement in the presence of his guardian. This is what happened to Brother James at the House of Prayer, and I'll read it directly from the report. He was around seven or eight years old when the incident in question occurred. He stated that the abuse commenced when Mother Anna Young's daughter, Mary Joy Young, said that he had a piece of candy that he really did not have. His punishment was to receive 33 licks. This disciplinary action took place on the back porch of the residence and lasted for approximately three to four days during different intervals when he was whipped. He would be naked when this took place. He was whipped with an electrical cord that also had a plug on the end of it. The reason that the disciplinary action took so long was that they would stop in between the beatings. His punishment for not standing still was that they just would not feed him anything. By not standing still meant that he refused to stand up straight while he was being whipped. Mother Anna was the person who inflicted the majority of the injuries to him. She also had her daughter, Mary Joy, who was seven or eight at the time, participate in whipping him with the electrical cord while he was naked. Mother Anna's deceased husband, Jonah, also participated in the beatings. He indicated that his ear was injured during this three- to four-day period of time, or a piece of his ear was removed during the beatings. After this, they poured alcohol into the open wounds and then put some kind of salve on them. When the authorities came to the house, they would hide him underneath the house. Access to this area was obtained through something similar to trap doors that were placed in the sanctuary near the steps and also the main stairwell of the residence. During this time period, he was dressed like a girl, and whenever they would go to town, he would have to lay down so no one could see him. They also sent him to Michigan for a period of time. These attempts to hide him were, in his belief, for the purpose of authorities who were looking for him not to be able to see his injuries. He believes that he went to the hospital during the 1985 time span for treatment of impetigo, and at this time he believes he told the authorities at the hospital about his injuries and how they were obtained. 
I almost can't bear to read it. That poor boy. We know based on the reports that he didn't tell the doctor at the time about how he'd gotten the injuries. And that really just shines a light on how traumatized he had to have been at the time. So scared, afraid in the moment to speak, but left with the impression all these years that he had done or said something to alert the doctors of what was happening to him. And nobody came to help him. Nobody came to save him. Nobody came. Nobody. Thirty-three years after his sister, Baby Kay's death, and after Anna's arrest, the current detective on the case made a plea to the medical examiner in a letter dated March 9, 2017. Dr. Hamilton, please find attached the entire investigative file for the 1983 death of What the prosecutors and investigators didn't know then, and we do know now, is that Anna Young was directing an extremist religious cult in Micanopy, wherein poor single black women and their children were recruited into the cult. Once inside the cult, the adults and children were subjected to extreme punishments, including beatings with sticks and extension cords. The children and adults were also subjected to extreme forced fastings, where food and water were withheld for days at a time. Adults were placed inside a locked box, described as the size of a large dog crate, inside the trailer portion of a tractor trailer during this discipline. Children were also subjected to a form of isolation being restrained in small locked closets for days at a time, which they were deprived of food and water. Witness testimony has revealed the biological parents of young children in the cult were separated from their mothers soon after entering the cult. All discipline and medical decisions made on behalf of those children were then made by the matriarch of the cult, Anna Young. In the attached case, Anna Young assumed the role of the victim's mother and saw fit to deny the victim access to medicines which could have prevented her death. According to physicians, interviewed by Detective Farnell Cole in 1983, her death was preventable. In addition, although the victim's legal name was the autopsy stated her last name to be Young. The victim's body was released for burial to Anna Young's husband, Robert Young. Witness testimony also revealed the victim was tortured by Anna Young with repeated beatings to her feet and legs. Anna Young was quoted by one witness as saying she intended to beat the demon out of her. I have also provided audio and videotaped statements from some of the various witnesses interviewed recently which support the premise that died as a result of being abused and having her anti-seizure medicines withheld. After reviewing the statements and my investigative summary, I would like for you to consider changing the cause of death in this case to homicide. Respectfully, Detective Kevin Allen, Alachua County Sheriff's Office. Along with this letter, the detective offered more evidence, including a handwritten note dated January 10, 1984, written by Jonah Young, a.k.a. Robert Davidson. He had requested a copy of the medical findings of his daughter, Baby Kay. It was signed Robert Young, with a Micanopy P.O. box as the address. He was referring to this little girl as his daughter, despite the fact that she absolutely was not his child. She was a child of one of the cult members, Sister Rebecca. 
He is listed on her death certificate as informant. Beneath the name of the parents, where the space for the father is left blank. I wonder why he was so eager to learn the medical findings in Baby K's case that he submitted a letter requesting it. Jonah Young is dead, so we can't ask him. There's a lot we can't ask him. Like why he didn't intervene when his wife was locking his daughter Kathy in a closet back when he was called Robert Davidson. Questions like where did you take Kathy's body and dispose of it? And what kind of person watches and participates in all this abuse and doesn't have the balls to speak up and stop it? Those are some of my questions. But we can't ask him. On Saturday, March 5th, 1988, Jonah Young was reported missing by Sister Priscilla. She said he left to go pick up some food two days earlier on Thursday and never returned. According to her, he'd been wearing a white shirt and blue pants when he left. Interestingly, not his traditional holy attire. Also interesting, it wasn't his wife Anna who called to report her husband missing two days earlier. Someone else had to do that. So, police responded to ye old house of prayer and child abuse and spoke to Anna Young. She said that she had alerted her neighbors and that one of them reported that Jonah's vehicle had been abandoned on his rental property. She said that Jonah and this neighbor had gone to that property on several occasions to remove parts from abandoned vehicles located there. For that reason, his vehicle being there didn't raise any red flags for anyone who may have seen it, although nobody was reported as having been there, including Anna. When she heard the car had been abandoned, interestingly, she didn't go over there and check it out. So officers went to the property and they located Jonah Young's body a short distance from his parked truck under a junk vehicle nearby. The medical examiner was called to the scene, but at that time he was not able to determine a cause of death. Here, I will read directly from the report. The abandoned Ford truck's left high beam was across the victim's chest and throat. The victim's head was pointing toward the front with his feet to the rear. His head and body were under the transmission. It appeared that the vehicle fell on the victim. A bumper jack was laying on its side at the left front of the truck, along with an abandoned lawnmower. A wheel rim was under the left wheel housing support frame. The rim was lying on its side and at an angle in the dirt. There was a toolbox laying at the driver's door near the victim. It appears the victim was removing some parts from a truck when it slipped from its support, the jack and rim, and fell on the victim. It had rained quite heavily in the preceding week, and the ground was soft. A jack, which would have been unstable to begin with, and the rim which sank into the soft dirt, causing the truck to shift, and in return, causing a jack to fall out from under the bumper. According to relatives, the victim was going to run some errands on Thursday. He was last seen in the Newberry area that afternoon at the feed store. There was also feed located on the bed of his truck, indicating that he had purchased the feed that afternoon. He never returned home that night. It is theorized that the victim stopped by the junkyard Thursday afternoon after purchasing the seed, and prior to returning home, stopped to remove some parts from a truck which he had done before. He had probably been there since Thursday afternoon. The cool weather had slowed decomposition. Victim was positively identified by his wife and friends. The victim was reported to have had approximately $1,000 on him, including a Social Security check for $524. He should have had approximately six to 700 in cash on him, 
but none of his personal effects were found on him or in his truck. Victim had changed clothes prior to working on the truck. Since the truck had been sitting unattended for approximately five days, and several people had access to the area and no witnesses saw anything, it is impossible to determine if theft had occurred and or who the suspect would be. The Emmy report listed the cause of death as compressional asphyxiation. There is no evidence, physical or through witnesses, to believe there was foul play involved. This case will be classified as accidental and closed. A handwritten note with the police report indicates that Brother Thomas said the person who found the truck is supposed to be on crack. He was the one who said Jonah Young should have had over $1,000 on him. Notably, the Social Security check he was supposed to have had on him was in the name of Joseph Bobo, Anna's father, who would incidentally be found dead two years later on the front lawn of the house in Micanopy, laying face up next to his wheelchair. He apparently died of natural causes, the result of cancer. As for the death of Jonah Young, it very well may have been an accident, but police certainly aren't ruling out the possibility that something else could have happened. On a chart prepared by law enforcement that lists potential and actual victims of Anna Young that I received with the rest of the police reports, Jonah Young is listed, and there is a note by his name that reads, Anna Young collected survivor benefits for daughter Joy and son Moses. The word motive with a question mark is typed next to that. Moses, the other young missing and presumed dead child attributed to Anna, was not her son, by the way, but Anna continued to draw social security benefits in his name until the date when he would have reached the age of 18, despite not only not being his parent, but also the fact that he had gone missing over a decade earlier. Now try and tell me that the House of Prayer was ever anything but a con. Joseph Bobo and Jonah Young, a.k.a. Robert Davidson, are now together in the Evergreen Cemetery in Alachua County. Joseph Bobo's headstone reads, Blessed Lord Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Obey him and live forever. St. John 7.38 He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Elder Joseph Bobo entered his rest after 75 years. And yes, there is an actual spelling mistake on his gravestone. It says, He that believeth on me, instead of in me. On the plot next to his rests a double gravestone. Robert Davidson's side of the tombstone reads, Pastor Jonah Young entered his rest after 42 years. 
next to this on the same double-sized stone reads, Mother Anna Elizabeth Jonah Young, his helpmate, entered rest after... And then there's a blank spot. Essentially, the gravestone equivalent of to be continued. Stay tuned.